0: Radioinfluence.com.
1: You are sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of City Ringside, The World's Gone Mad, Part One, edition of this podcast, and we are so happy that you are here to listen to it as I record this podcast. It is Thursday, March 12th at 12.33 p.m. And the reason I'm telling you that is because at this very moment that Vince McMahon is meeting with the mayor of Tampa and the county commissioners and the sports commission to see the fate of WrestleMania. If I'd even thought that two weeks ago, let alone two days ago, I would have thought you're out of your mind. But considering that as we talk, uh, almost every major sport has canceled anything with fans. Uh, South by Southwest was canceled, p- p- canceled Coachella postponed. Uh, it's pretty crazy. As I said, the world's gone mad. So when this drops in a few days on Monday morning, uh, we probably will have a lot clearer picture of uh, WrestleMania weekend. I And I'll t- talk to you about my TNA journey this weekend from the good to the crazy. And talk, we'll continue to talk about the current state of the world and how it relates to professional wrestling, but um, crazy times that we live in, folks. And as somebody who has events, five events scheduled for WrestleMania weekend, it's kind of a little bit unnerving not knowing what your future is. But it's out of my hands at this point, and uh, I can't even imagine five little events that I have. I can't even imagine what the uh, what Vince McMahon has to be thinking with all the, what he has all in with the. You know, SmackDown taping, Hall of Fame, NXT Takeover, Monday Night Raw, WrestleMania, Axis. I mean, that's crazy. So, talk about overwhelming. I'm overwhelmed just with my five little, two dinners and three Q and A events. So, uh, so we shall know. We probably will know by the time this drops. But I would not be surprised if WrestleMania is postponed. Uh, if it does go off as scheduled, it probably will be the only thing to go off as scheduled uh, in the next month. So. Um, You never know. Vince is a stubborn guy, and uh, a lot of people thought that he was going to stop going to Saudi Arabia, but he went, so we'll have to see. But it is, uh, as they say in the news business, it is a fluid story as we speak. But uh, let me tell you about my story. I have an interesting story. A couple weeks ago, uh, it's it's funny that uh, this happened within two hours of each other. A couple of weeks ago on Dynamite, Gary Capetta uh, was out for a segment uh, where they did a they did a uh, weigh-in, and Gary's always good at great at, at doing those segments in WCW. I never really did those kind of segments because they didn't give me that freedom. That was more for Gene Okerlund uh, at the time, but, um, and so I was excited to see that Gary got brought back. So when my wife was, was going to bed and she said goodnight, she said, Are you upset that they didn't call you? And I said, absolutely not at all. I said, first of all, I wouldn't have been the right person for the segment. I've never done anything like that on a national stage. And second of all, I'm good. I'm done. I'm finished. I have a podcast. Some people listen. Uh, I'm cool. Uh, I'm done with the business other than an indie show here and there and uh, my my fan fest shows that we promote. And uh, no worries. So have a good sleep and uh, don't think twice about it. Two hours later. Text from Scott Tim Moore, Executive Vice President of, of Impact Wrestling. Are you available next weekend? And if so, do you do play-by-play? I swear, ladies and gentlemen, I swear to God, people, two hours later, uh, just as I said that I'm good with being done, uh, I got that text, and my response was, yes, I am available, and I did play-by-play 23 years ago uh, for European Nitro with Larry Zabisco. So I'm probably going to have to be carried, but I'm open to doing anything because I will not turn down an opportunity no matter how challenging it is. So it turns out that they brought me up to Atlanta. They were taping a one-hour special that was scheduled to air um, the week before the Friday There's No Place Like Home event, which was going to be a TNA special to promote such event. And I did the play by play, which was a challenge in itself. Um, if I'm being honest, 100%, I thought that um, I did it with Scott DeMore. Me and Scott did it. At first, it was That they were trying to get Scott Hudson. And I was like, oh, working with Scott Hudson, that's like a breeze. He'll, he'll cover 80% of it. I'll just say hi. Um, but he wasn't available, so due to work uh, situation. So, so I did it with Scott DeMore. And I'd say the banter, between Scott and I, because we we played off a lot of fun stuff, TNA stuff that you know, making fun of the King of the Mountain match and and stuff like that. Uh, so we were we were just totally shot with it as far as all the craziness that was TNA. But um, you know about suicide and Manic being the same person and how many suicide characters there were. So I thought that was pretty cool. I as far as the actual play by play goes. Uh, it, <laughs> It probably it's not gonna it I don't know if it'll win worse uh wrestling observer worst play by play of the year. It might, but um it's certainly not gonna get best play by play. But I, I I tried and I was scheduled as of the last I heard to actually do the play by play for the no, There's No Place Like Home pay-per-view. Now as we discussed at the beginning of the show. We don't know if there's going to be a WrestleMania. We don't know if there's going to be a WrestleMania weekend, so we don't know if there's going to be a No Place Like Home pay-per-view. But um, that was scheduled. I was, It was great. By the way, I wanted to tell my story, and this has uh, never been told, and the only time you're probably going to hear it. But I do want to say that coming up this week on City Ringside, our guest is former Diva Search winner TNA Knockout, and currently working with Lita and Gail Kim on a project called Fabe that's in its Kickstarter stage. Uh, we're going to be talking to Christy Hemi, so um, stay tuned for that. But uh, as my story continues, I went up and uh, got to be around the, the Impact Wrestling staff, uh, I, other than Scott and Tommy Dreamer and D'Lo Brown, who are agents, uh, and Gail Kim, of course, who's an agent. I I knew Eddie Edwards and Falaba. Everybody else I had never seen, girls and guys I had never seen in my life. That's I lie. I had met Ty Valkyrie at a at an indie show. So, but they have a great a great crew there. Uh, they have a team called the North. Uh, that that that's fantastic. Josh Alexander and Ethan Page. That. Um, uh, they had a match, it was the last match that they taped for Impact against Tessa Blanchard and Eddie Edwards. If you get a chance to see that match, um, I'd go out of your way to see it. It's fantastic. And and uh, all the, the, the whole locker room really impressed me, and it was good stuff. So it was fun to be there. What wasn't fun was, as you probably heard by now, the scare we had with Scott Steiner. Scott was there to do the TNA special, and he did tape a segment. And apparently, as soon as he got done taping, he went back to the locker room. I was still doing the quote unquote play by play, if you want to call it that, for the main event of that show. And got word in my ear after it was over that Scott had collapsed in the back. I've been in situations where a wrestler, for whatever reason, collapses. Usually it's just a brief, you know, they pass out, they 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 get dizzy, uh, adrenaline, whatever it is. Uh, so I went to the back and I saw 50 wrestlers standing in a group together that were, you could have heard a pin drop. that were so quiet. And I said, holy crap, there's something, there's something off here. This is not a normal situation. So I walked past them and walked over to where his locker room was, Scotty's, and, uh, they didn't want to let me in, but, um spoke to Lo and, and Tommy Dreamer and immediately realized it was serious. Uh, and the first thing was to try to get Scott's wife's number to let her know what was going on and that they were rushing him to the hospital and what hospital to meet at. Uh, and Ricky, Robbie Steiner, wasn't answering his phone. And, you know, it was like about 10.30 at night. And I ca- tried calling Jeff Jarrett because I know Jeff and Scotty are close. He finally did call back, but finally, um, Johnny Swinger of all people was able to get Rick Steiner's son's phone number, and they were able to get his wife's phone number and get in touch with her. And I guess that at, at what they're you know to make a long story short, what they're saying is if he was at home and this happened, or if he was at uh, Shoney's and this happened, or if he was at an indie show and this happened, much like the Jerry Lawler situation. Uh, if there weren't EMTs on site and medical staff, they said they'd have lost him. Uh, but we didn't know for at least a few hours uh, what the outcome was going to be, and and you had to definitely think about the fact that there was a chance that it wasn't going to wasn't going to make it. Thank God, thank God of all gods that uh, that that he was able to pull through, and he seems to be doing well now. Uh, they've identified the problem and, 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 and taken some steps to fix it. So um, it, it, it's ironic. The last thing that he did, I think, before coming out to do that segment was I had to show him how to retweet uh, our our podcast interview, that uh, the, the the link to it. And he was getting so annoyed at me because I kept trying to touch his phone to show him because he didn't know what he was doing. And finally, we figured it out. But it took about 10 minutes to figure out how to forward it and for him to find it and figure out how to forward and what to forward and retweet, whatever you want to call it. And he was like, that's all, that's all I'm going to do for you. And if that would have been the last conversation that I would have had, that would have been, uh, uh not fun, but, uh, thank God, uh, it all worked out, but that's what happened. And of course, Scott Tim Moore and Joey Ryan, who he worked with in the segment and Tommy dreamer met Robbie and, and, uh, his wife at the hospital and, and it all worked out for the best, but, uh, that was a scary time, folks, and um, uh, it, in some ways more scary than what's going on now. Uh, any word, Jerry, about uh, the future of uh, WrestleMania in Tampa? Of course, the year they have it in Tampa, this has to happen. Unbelievable. So that was my time with TNA. Whether, that's, uh, whether that show is even going to air, whether the No Place Like Home show is going to happen, is all up in the air. I, I did end up ring announcing from behind the scenes for most of the Impact shows, so if uh, if you enjoy the vocal uh, announcing of, of, of yours truly, uh, you could check out the next few weeks of Impact on Axis, and uh, you will not see me, but you will hear my voice, and I actually lost my voice, because I came in with a little bit of a head cold, and i um, which is why we didn't have a podcast last week, uh, along with the travel uh, and everything crazy going on. But yeah, as of Monday, and we're taping this on Thursday, as of Tuesday morning, I couldn't talk. Uh, still a little bit hoarse, but I got my voice back. And we are going to bring on Christy Hemi in just a moment to talk about her career and to talk about Kay But just wanted to give you a little insight into the last crazy two weeks of my life. And just when you think it's all calming down and getting back to normal, We are in a state of panic. So uh, what we do in in a state of panic here is we bring on a lovely, beautiful, redheaded diva, knock slash knockout, and talk about her life. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome former diva search winner TNA Knockout, and currently working on the KFA project on Kickstarter, Christy Hemi. All right, ladies and gentlemen, excited this week to have on City Ringside former d Search winner, TNA Knockout, and is currently working with Amy Dumas, a.k.a. Lita, and Gail Kim on a project called K Fabe. We're going to talk about that with my guest this week, Christy Hemi, but before we do, uh, I want to go over some of the highlights and uh, different stories from her career and then we'll get right into the project and what it's all about talk to gail came a little bit this past weekend when i was with tna and uh, got a little bit of the lowdown but christy how are you this morning
2: i'm good how are you
0: you i'm great you sound i didn't know this and we're gonna we're gonna get to it but you had quadruplets holy crap you sound you sound pretty <laughs> you sound pretty exciting and awake for somebody who has five kids
2: Oh my gosh! I mean, I'm just kind of firing on all cylinders all the time. So (laughs) I'm not with them right now. I'm in. We're in Los Angeles right now doing a bunch of media. So I miss them a ton.
0: Ah, so it's early for you. I I guess you're. Mm -mm. I guess with five kids, you're probably used to being up early. That's crazy. We're going to talk about the (laughs) quadruplets thing because. that, I, I can't even imagine, but, um, so do, just curious, any interest in wrestling growing up, or did you just happen to find your way to the diva search in 2004?
2: I would say it was very casual, like, you know, being at a friend's house and watching wrestling, but it wasn't like a deep passion for wrestling. It wasn't until I went through the diva search, actually like from the get go, I knew immediately in my heart I was like oh my gosh there's something about this place there's something about this world there's something about this that means something to me and the more that I dug in and learned about it it was like just this never-ending passion to learn more about it
0: so we've had on uh guests who have been a part of tough enough during the various seasons I I don't know that we've ever had anybody that's uh, been on the diva search in the two plus years we've been doing this Uh, We've talked to the, about tough enough, a little bit about scripted versus reality. Tell me about the diva search. How much of it was, uh, you know, quote unquote, regular reality television, which is partly scripted. And how much of it was, uh, was actually a shoot.
2: It was actually a hundred percent a
1: shoot. Wow.
2: Which is fascinating in the world of reality, right? They would tell us nothing. And, I don't know if you remember the segment where where we it was the, the diss the diva segment.
0: I don't, but I'm gonna look it up.
2: You got you got to look it up because they didn't realize that by just turning us loose without prepping us a little bit, we might say some things that we couldn't say on TV, and so. <laughs> We ended up saying some stuff that they had to beep and like it turned into this big thing where they're like, oh, whoa, we got to like prep them just maybe a little bit because you turn a bunch of people loose and you're going to get, you know, some reality back.
0: That's crazy. I'm definitely going to have to Google that. Um, And we'll try to we'll try to uh, tag it on the podcast. So if uh, people hear the podcast and they want to take a look, uh, they don't have to go far. Uh, When when at what point did you think to yourself, "I, I could actually win this thing?
2: I never let myself think about winning it. The only thing that I thought about was being in the business. I thought I felt like in, in that scenario, if they could just see that I really cared to learn and grow and that I also, I, I knew I wanted to wrestle. So like, I just felt like if the fans could see that and if the company could see that I would have a fighting chance to get into the business. And I just kept my eye on that prize and that, I think is what got me to win. Really,
0: that's great. So you win the Diva Search comes with a one year, I believe, two hundred fifty thousand dollars contract, which doesn't suck. Uh, you go to <laughs> you, you go to WWEF. I, I lose track of when they switched, but. Um, any any resentment from anybody that you know you know I, I i you know i could see people going you know i had to start you know uh you know wrestling in 50 50 seat arenas uh for a hot dog and a coke and and she's walking in a, a quarter of a million dollar contract was there any of that or and if so how do you overcome well, that none of that at all
2: interesting enough i feel like backstage they were pretty warm to me because I was the one in the bunch that had that passion to learn. The most flack I got was from myself. I felt, I knew that that was the scenario. I knew that people, this was the first that we're having this kind of diva search situation. And I knew that I was being given a big contract that I hadn't gone to the Indies and earned. And so for me, I felt I really felt bad. And I really felt like I needed to fight for that spot for myself.
0: A lot of times it's all attitude, quite frankly. You know, if you walked in there holier than thou, they probably would have decimated you. But the fact that you walked in there knowing that you had something to prove to yourself and the rest of the company, that probably was, was why you didn't have a problem. And I respect that tremendously. Speaking of learning, um, I know that you did a lot of your learning under Fit Finley, uh, who was running the women's division at the time. He's uh, one of my uh, family's closest friends, and we still keep in contact. I know he's one of the most beloved people uh, in in wrestling. Talk to me about working with Fit Finley.
2: Fit is such an advocate for women. And you always feel really comfortable with him because you know that he's fighting for you whenever you're working with somebody where it's like you know that they're really fighting for you it's like they're giving you that little platform to grow and for me that's that's the type of people that i always want to surround myself and i always want to work with is people that you know hold hold people up and and show them you know just a little bit more of what they can do and what they're capable of and that is fit finley
0: any Fit Finley stories? You guys go out and have a couple pints after uh, training or anything like that? God,
2: I, I don't even I don't remember any of that. I just remember being in the ring with him, honestly.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Somebody on Twitter yesterday put up a big article about – a 2000 uh, WCW tour that like was advertising like all these big names and the main event was like uh, you know the Mamelukes against uh, the, the Harris brothers or something because everybody was either injured or uh, arguing with the company and and mm-hmm. I, I look I put and then I look back and I said the only thing I remember on that tour was going out drinking at an Irish pub with Fit Finlay and Daphne. It's funny how uh, (laughs) that's, that's the things you remember. Daphne was like, hell yeah. Daphne was on Twitter. was like, hell yeah. That was the greatest, one of the greatest, uh, funniest nights of my life. But, uh, but yeah, Fitz's a great guy. Um, You didn't have a long stay in WWE. Um, I've seen on online. If you do a little research into your career, they have their story of why you left and you sort of have your story. I'm wondering what the real story is of why you left.
2: Well, I mean, I was fired. So, it wasn't a situation where I, I didn't want to go. I was very passionate about WWE and wrestling and being a part of the company. I felt like, you know, once I was let go and the reason that they gave me was that it they didn't have any more creative for me. That was the call that I got. I felt like once I was let go, it just became clear to me that, okay... The whole thing that I had seen from the beginning of the diva search where I was like, man, I really w- wish that I had gone um, onto the Indies and fought my way up and did all this. You know, I really wanted that part of the journey. And so once I was let go, it became very obvious to me. Oh, yeah, I'm not like going back to Hollywood and trying to do this Hollywood thing. I was like, it's time to go to the Indies and time to, you know, go earn, earn my stripes and, and go work for this thing.
0: You uh, You, you. Uh, went to TNA quite uh, soon after that. So uh, yeah. your your hard work definitely paid off. What were the differences, positive and negative, between TNA and, and WWE at the time?
2: I really, really love my experience with TNA. Um, I felt like when I first went there, I, I had some guards up because I had been hurt. To leave WWE was very painful for me. So going into TNA and it was like a very warm situation, a very warm locker room. And it was interesting because I'm generally a warm person who like, I just love people. I walk in, I'm very open. And because I had been hurt, I walked into that locker room pretty guarded. And it took some time for me to, you know, let my own walls down and and open up to really being backstage there. But once I did, I just really found a home there. And, you know, I was there for a long time, like over over 10 years yeah, and I worked in every department of the company really like I really was very involved so I never I never felt in that company like there wasn't a place for me to grow into there
0: that's fair enough um any any negative differences uh I, I've heard people complain about the organization was not with WWE as far as uh setting up PR events any anything like that or you just were just happy to be somewhere that welcomed you
2: Oh, I mean, things like that can always run more s- smoothly. I would have liked it to, you know, have been maybe a little more defined with uh, the roles that were backstage because everybody's, you know, everybody really believes in the product. And so every- everyone was on the same page as being like hungry to create something, you know, so I do think that the organization of those roles backstage could have been better so that people could work a little more like a machine like WWE does that very well as far as like everyone knows exactly what they're doing. And it works like a machine.
0: Absolutely. A hundred percent. Um, at one point you were part of creative. Tell me about that. And was uh, that difficult? That was my favorite experience of my yeah, life. That's the f- you know, I, see, until- I say the same thing about all the things I've done in the business. Creative is the, is the, is my funnest.
2: It, 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 you know, up until doing kayfabe, like do that part of my career, uh, fighting for the women and developing the division and writing for it. And just, you know, you know, learning that part of the process, which for me being in creative, it, it was like a lot of me sitting back and listening and then interjecting when the time was appropriate. Um, it was a big learning process for me. And then I would go back to my desk and just come up with a million ideas and run into big's office and, you know, share everything. Um, But it was just a really, I felt like when I was part of the creative team and when I was doing that, I felt like a light turned on in me where I could clearly see what I was meant to do. And I feel like my whole life, it was like coming to that point where it was like, wow, this is what I want to grow. This is how I can, this is what I'd like to spend the rest of my life doing is creating.
0: Yeah, it is very, uh, exhilarating. I will tell you that. Um, did, did it make you understand a little bit more some of the past decisions? I know being on the talent side, sometimes, you know, creative will throw something out and you'll be like, WTF, you know, and, and you don't get it. But then when you're in a creative situation and you're dictating that, you know, there's a million and one things that could happen that could, uh, you know, make a change a decision or make a decision, maybe not make sense at the last minute. Did did, did it, a light bulb go off when, uh, and say, oh, maybe, you know, this is why this happened or this is why this happened?
2: Uh, I mean, it really made everything make sense for me because when you're in the creative situation. Um room and you're and you're doing all that stuff and you got the big board up and you've got all these names up there, it fits together like a puzzle. Yep. And so you move one piece of the puzzle, someone gets injured and you gotta move this piece around. Well if you move that piece around then you gotta move those other pieces around. It's like it's this constant puzzle that you're you're trying to configure and then it changes all the way up until T V. So yeah, I totally get it. And then you're in the middle of TVs and something happens and it, it, you have to really slow with when it comes to professional wrestling and writing for professional
0: wrestling. You're a thousand percent right. It's a it's a total puzzle, and if one piece falls off, if one piece gets an injured ankle or a concussion, then it all it all comes tumbling down, and you got to re, redo the puzzle. So uh, uh, it, it was it was eye opening for me as well, and I know other wrestlers that have been involved that were like, uh, you know, that that were very ne- negative of creative uh, in WCW and stuff like that who have gone on to do it. And they're like, you know, it totally changed my outlook on, on everything. Um, Talk to, I'm interested in hearing about your transitioning to ring announcing. I'm sure probably of all the things you did, it probably wasn't the highlight, one of the highlights of your life, but since it's something that I'm pretty familiar with, I'm I'm wondering how that happened and and, uh, what were the differences in, in uh, having to transition and doing ring announcing in front of a live crowd.
2: So when I was injured, I, really wrestled with and had a hard time with the idea of not being a part of wrestling anymore. It was like, what's the next step? And when they offered that to me and wanted to start developing that part of me, I felt extremely humbled and grateful because it gave me a toe to stay in the wrestling business, you know, and keep learning more and find out maybe where that next position was for me um and then it also as a byproduct of being that kind of supportive role for the roster and i always knew my role as a as a rest, as a um announcer you you as an announcer you're not like a character on the show you're there to really support these characters and hold their platforms up and you know help them shine you know so for me being able to look at the show from that perspective and see the backside of the announcing part which is so important to the being the glue of the show. Um, It was like a really big part of my informational uh, a part of the process that I was learning. Um, So I really enjoyed that. And then there, and then there grew a time where it was like, okay, I feel like I've handled this part of um, professional wrestling. And, and over here is where I thrive more. It just as a human, like I like this part more
0: yeah again i I, i'm very mostly known as a ring announcer but i always the creative and talent relations always to me was a lot more interesting and and uh you know but uh you got to do what you're good at i guess hey looking back to put a period at the end of the tna sentence um what are your thoughts on dixie carter looking back much has been said positive negative uh what 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 are your memories
2: so okay so a lot has been said positive and negative the bottom line is is that there wouldn't be a TNA without those relationships coming together with her and Jeff and like, you know, them getting on the same page to like create this thing or, or make it happen. Right. So she's part of that history and you can't take that away from her. Um, I think that, you know, that's just, it's the road that it went down. So I feel very, uh, grateful that she came in when she did to help create those late relationships and and get the company to where it is now Where like now you've got different leadership taking it in another direction and i feel like watching it from you know an outside as an outsider like i feel like you guys are on or they're on like a really good path right now a traje- trajectory upward
0: yeah i was just there uh, just for a weekend uh and um yeah, I was really impressed. I didn't know 95% of the talent on the roster, but they all, they all work really hard. And, you know, other than like Fala Ba and Eddie Edwards, I was like, hi, I'm David Penzer. Who are you? But, um, but they're, but they all work really well together. They're a close knit family. And uh, I was very impressed. I was excited to see you. Uh, when I was doing some research for this, because one of the funnest things that we talk about on this podcast with the wrestlers is having an opportunity to do Family Feud with Steve Harvey, and you got to do that. Yeah. And everybody lights up when I say that, Who was who, part of that experience. T- tell me about that, uh, the Family Feud experience.
2: Yeah, when I look back at that experience, I got a little anger in my heart over it. Anger? <laughs> yes, because we did not win like over and over and oh, over. Oh, that's and true. I like remember that. So oh my gosh. And my husband was in the audience and I do get competitive in that situation. And he just kept looking at me and using his fingers to make a smiley face, like smile, smile. And then in between one of the segments, he came over to me. He's like, Christy, this is going to be on TV for the next 40 years. <laughs> if you look this upset because you're not winning, then you're going to have to look at this for a really long time. So you better put a smile on your face. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I like, per- the I- button didn't work one time. I got an answer right, and my button didn't work one time. I was like, it was my button. <laughs>
0: I remember that now <laughs> you guys, you guys couldn't do it, not do anything. Right. You guys couldn't win for losing though. It seemed like everything was against uh, you, but, but, but uh, talk about Steve Harvey and his, and, and his personality. Cause uh, apparently a lot of what goes on, on the tapings gets cut. Uh, and, and from what you see uh, on television.
2: God, I mean, I just found him extremely entertaining and it was, like constant. like she, he was so in control of that whole situation and funny as hell. Like I just kept, listening to him like you know he's he's hilarious
0: yeah he is um We mentioned earlier that you had, and I didn't know this, that you had quadruplets. God bless you. Um, t- talk to me about the challenges. You know all the challenges that you had as far as you know different things in wrestling and overcoming injuries. Uh, how, how does having when you go to the doctor and they say you're having quadruplets? How how, how does how do you how does one react to that? Because I can't even imagine as a guy, let alone as the woman who has to carry and oh and, and, and 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 give birth to the said quadruplets.
2: You know, my initial reaction, I like whenever something scary or, you know, anything super confusing or just in life, anything like that, I just laugh because I'm like, that's my reaction. But I just could not stop laughing because I couldn't even put it together in my head, how that works (laughs) and how that could possibly be my life. I was like, I just don't I can't even see it, you know. Um, My husband was not laughing. He did not think it was funny. Um, And then immediately afterwards, we were told by the doctor that we had to reduce
0: two of them. Oh, my goodness.
2: So to be told in one sentence that you're pregnant with four kids, you have four babies in you, and that you can't have two of them. It was like so much information at one time. Then I wasn't laughing because I was like, oh, my gosh. So I have to make a decision. And we had seen three different doctors that wouldn't take us because the risks are so high with quadruplets and especially my size. I'm very small. Um, They wouldn't take us unless we reduced to two. So we finally found a doctor that would take us. and And he just said, you have to make this decision. And the only way I'll take you is if you're committed to the decision and listen to me 100%. So we ended up going forward with it, um, and it was the hardest physical journey I've ever had in my entire life. Um, I was on bed rest at seven weeks pregnant, and I went into the hospital at 21 weeks on full, full bed rest care uh, up until we had the kids. So it was –
0: you just Go scared, ahead. you just scared the living hell out of me when you said that because I'm thinking to myself, I could swear I saw four names listed. And, and when you said they, that I was like, I just didn't ask her about this. And, and they had to get rid of God. You, you're talking about having a heart attack. Uh, yeah. but I'm, I'm glad it all worked out. Obviously it was very challenging. And then the challenging part probably is you already had a, a child. So how is it dealing with five young kids? Uh, do you ever th- think about doing a reality show?
2: I don't think I'm built for a reality show because <laughs> I'm so private. I'm so private. I mean, it's hard for me to even get on social media, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, so that wasn't really like a, a a great idea for me. But as far as my older daughter, she is like, you know, some, a lot of times she's like, hey, she just wants to be the star of the show. However, she helps a lot with the kids, um, which was nice that we had them when she was at an age where she could be such a help.
0: That's great. So you just have to get into a routine, I would assume.
2: Oh, such a routine. I mean, I'm a very structured person anyways. But when it came to like having the kids, it's like a little mini preschool at my house. Like everyone lines up, they eat lunch at the same time, they go to sleep at the same time. Like everything is very organized with them.
0: Are they all very, are the quadruplets very close?
2: Very close. Yeah. They're like, they're a little crew, you know, they're like their own little band
0: like the little <laughs> like the, the little knockout new little knockouts division or NWO except that there's three boys and one girl that's right two boys and one girl. so the NWO we'll call it um yes so there, so I appreciate you um especially for somebody who's private talking about your your career and 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 some of the stuff that experiences in your life um but you got a big project now that um uh, it seems exciting, and it's a Kickstarter campaign for a project called Fabe with uh, Lita, Amy Dumas, and Gail Kim and yourself. Uh, talk to me a little bit about what the premise of the project is and, and, and what, what you guys are hoping to, to do if you guys could raise the money and get the get filming, as they say.
2: Yeah. Well, it's a scripted drama, and it's inspired by – female professional wrestling. That's the basic premise of it. It's like a, a gritty modern day glow. Cool. But for real wrestling, you know, because there's the obvious differences between glow and uh, the wrestling industry. Um, our hopes for it is, you know, we're going this. we've, we've started this Kickstarter. However, regardless of what happens with the Kickstarter, we are we know that the show is going to happen. We've worked so hard for the past two years to put all this stuff together. We've got a lot of irons in the fire when it comes to production companies and investors, and we're just going to make it happen no matter what.
0: And whose idea was this? And how did you guys, the three of you get together?
2: Well, Gail, the Gail and I, both in our respective, you know, ways have been working on various projects. Um, are just our paths never lined up and this is for years. Once I came home from the hospital, she came over and she was talking about one of the wrestling projects she was working on and I just looked at her and I was like, why are you doing that? And why aren't we doing a project together? That opened up the door to a conversation that like, it was like fire, like we just started talking about exactly the kind of show we would make together and it became very clear, very quickly. She left my house after us verbalizing exactly what it was. And by morning, I had a pitch deck in her email. Wow. And we were like, oh, my gosh, we're making this thing. This thing is so clear. So we worked on we worked on, you know, developing it for like another six months. Um, And as we were starting to pull the team together, because we were ready to really start creating something, Amy became a clear choice as someone who would be aligned with us. I've been talking to her for years. I knew her production taste as so she was in WWE um, doing various shows there. And so when we had that conversation with Amy, it was just like magic. Like, oh my gosh, like the the wheels of the bus are coming on. Like we've got more people that are starting to catch this vision and see what it is. And that's how it was with every single conversation we had with these team members that are on board to create this thing
0: so you said scripted uh a scripted show which i I, when i first saw this that was the last thing i would have thought of but it's interesting um would you guys be playing yourselves as in a scripted show or playing other characters (laughs) or or other characters playing you no,
2: so it, it will not be even us. like we're executive producing, ah. but we are not actually on the show or in the show. If I could never be on TV again, that would be my preference.):
0: <laughs> So So basically, taking your experience from the drama and the craziness of the pro wrestling business as a, a diva and a knockout Listen. and, and, and Penser, putting.: Yes.
2: Penser, you know. There is so many stories to be told in wrestling. There is endless source material when it comes to wrestling. And I always say, if, if someone was a fly on the wall of a, of a women's locker room, the stories they would hear, whether it's them back at home or them in the ring or how they got there or why they got there or what their drive is, it's like to be in this business, you have to have extreme passions, which means you have an extreme life. And so those stories, for me, it's like, so compelling, but I have not truly seen those told in any format ever, including glow. That's not the same thing. It's not professional wrestling. So being able to share those stories is what we wanted to do. And when we talked about what this would look like, it was also important to us to really protect the business and protect the people in the business. So there will never be a story that is like, Oh, this is so-and-so story. This is so-and-so story. You could play that game, but it's not going to be accurate because they are develops characters with a writing team that is creating these characters.
0: Well, it sounds fascinating. I'm glad that we had you on to to explain it more. And uh, you said it's going to happen no matter what. But if uh, people want to uh, be a part of the project, Kickstarter is interesting. And and I had never really looked at it that much until this project, mostly the time you see like GoFundMe stuff. But Kickstarter allows you to have the opportunity to some people could be if you if you want to invest a certain amount, could be an executive producer, correct?
2: Yes. So the reason why we wanted to choose that platform and the reason why it it felt like something that would be really good for us is because with Kickstarter, we're able to have a totally unfiltered version of what it is we present to fans. And, you know, because we don't have that clear partner right now, partnering up with fans, we know that they're going to want that kind of unfiltered version of what the show would be. What exactly is it that we're trying to say? So Kickstarter has all kinds of like, it's not the same as GoFundMe where GoFundMe is more like, Hey, contribute to this. And I'm like a charity. No, yeah. it's like you go onto our Kickstarter page, you're buying a t-shirt, you're buying a, a poster, you're buying a, this, or you're buying a that. Um, there's something to be a part of and invest in the idea of us creating this thing.
0: It all sounds really cool, and um, I appreciate you coming on Sitter Ringside to talk about it, and um, hopefully when, when we get ready to, to premiere this thing, we could have you and Gail and, and maybe Amy, all three of you on real quickly to talk about it. I know I got to talk to Gail a little bit about it this past weekend, and, and she was really excited, and you sound really excited. So I appreciate your time, and, uh, and, and best of luck, and, and you got my interest now, so I'll be looking out to see uh, how it goes.
2: Thank you so
0: much, Penzer. All right, say hear your voice. Yeah, same here. Say hello to those five little ones. I
2: will. Bye.
0: I want to thank Christy Hemi and that project, especially after talking to her and, and Gail Kim a little bit this past weekend, seems exciting. And uh, you might want to check, check out the Kickstarter campaign. But like she said, whether they reach their goal or not, I believe that they have uh, enough uh, investments, as she said, to move forward with a... Uh, with an episode or two, and, uh, and and see where it goes. So I wish them the best. My heart stopped. Jeez, when I I, I knew when I w- was doing my research, I saw four names of four quadruplets that she gave birth to. But when she started going telling that story, and thank thank Christy for her openness. I didn't expect her to go that into that much, uh, uh to that much of her personal life. But uh, my heart almost stopped, and I'm thinking to myself. There were four names. There were four names. I saw them. And and thank God they were able to find a doctor and and, and all four kids are doing great. But uh, uh, that would have been probably in... 54 almost 54 years in my life probably my most uncomfortable moment and trust me if you know anything about my life you know my life is filled with uncomfortable moments so most of them at my own doing and this would have been as well so um hope you enjoyed that hope you enjoyed a little insight into the uh, my tna journey and uh, the scott steiner craziness and like we talked about, as, as we speak, they are meaning to determine the fate of WrestleMania. It is a fluid situation, and basically it's a whole new world we live in, folks. Uh, so uh, please stay safe, stay healthy, and we appreciate you listening to this to get away from the craziness that is 2020 so far and uh, we hope to have updates for you you can follow me on Twitter at David Penzer or at Penzer Ringside or you could tune in each and every Monday and we'll try to bring you updates on the world's gone mad and uh, how it affects the wrestling business. Once again thank you to Christy Hemi, be sure to go to Kickstarter and check that out hope you enjoyed it and we will see you next week on City Ringside
1: Follow David Penzer on Twitter At David Penzer. Also make sure to follow the show on Twitter at Penzer Ringside. You've been sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. This is a Landry football quick fix on Radio Influence. One of the the big storylines has been, will be, until he makes a decision is Tom Brady. Where is he gone? Is he gone back to New England? What's the situation there? Uh, what about this? This team's interested. They're floating out information. What does all this mean, folks? Let's break it down. When you hear things such as the Patriots are prepared to pay him twenty-five million, you know, but the Raiders might be willing to go as high as thirty, and it's, that's all being floated out by his representative, Don Yee, and his, his entourage to the media. This is no doubt an effort to try to increase the price with the Patriots. Now, I'm not saying that the Patriots are going to meet that price. If, if it is about the price, he very well may have to leave and go somewhere for the money. If an extra $6 million a year means that much to him, He may end up having to do that. Don't know. It's obviously he's trying to do two things. Tom Brady is. To increase the amount of offer from the Patriots, one. But at the same time, try to grease the skids of, look, if he leaves, it's not my fault. I'd rather stay here, but they don't want me type approach. Um, I don't think the Patriots, certainly Bill Belichick, doesn't play that game he's going to do and make an offer. I do think, I have thought, and I continue to think, that they will make a good offer to Tom Brady, and in the end, he'll probably stay in New England. The Landry Football Podcast with veteran
0: scout and coach Chris Landry can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com.